Welcome to episode number 81 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded August 23rd, 2020. My name is Hughes, and I'm the host of the show for tonight. I'm from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter, and station chief, and volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees for the last six years or so, and this was born out of necessity for the short and long-term survival of my family, which includes three young children. Hi, my name is Ian. I live on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, and my farm's designated handyman. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, a security expert, and overall safety nerd. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris, and I love solar. Uh, I've been living off-grid now for over for many years, uh, and I have not had a power bill in at least a decade. Um, currently find myself in the sunny Okanagan Valley in British Columbia. Uh, I like to think myself as a freedom-loving, truth-seeking individual. Uh, I enjoy nothing more than setting off in two-wheeled or four-wheeled back-road adventures into the great outdoors with my two dogs. Uh, I've recently been living a minimalistic lifestyle, which ties in with my prepping, and uh, my electronic engineering degree complements my day job, which is helping people actualize their individual preparedness goals utilizing solar technology. Whether it's energy independence, financial security, environmental reasons, or general peace of mind, solar power can provide it all. And if you want to help support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy a Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt at www.rapidsurvival.com. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. All right, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And we have some illuminating content for you this episode. We're going to start off with some preparedness-related news, and next we'll let you know what we've been doing for preparedness since our last episode, and then we'll get into the main topic tonight, which is solar setups for emergencies. Uh, Alan, I'll let, let you go first. I only put one article in here tonight. Uh, that's This is a... Uh, article out of New York City. Um, the mayor, um, Bill de Blasio, has decided that as part of his um, budget cuts to deal with um, the fact that he shut down his city for no damn good reason, he's laying off 400 of the New York City Fire Department EMS workers that saved lives just a few months ago and were the biggest heroes in the world. So um, just a reminder that help may or may not be coming, depending on where you are and when it's happening and where you are in the budget cycle. Uh, for myself, uh, just an article on uh, the world, uh, sorry, the coronavirus uh, death toll hitting 800,000 um, so far. And uh, as nations are ramping up measures to try to contain the virus, you're seeing a resurgence in some countries like Spain, which um, you know were one of the hardest hit countries at the beginning of the pandemic. So you're seeing a resurgence there. Um, and also that the U.S. is now the leading, I believe, in both deaths and a number of cases. Um, so, uh, although not quite surprising, it's just mind-boggling, really. So, they're number one for everything. <laughs> um, Ian or uh, Chris, any? Well, a little bit of a pre- preparedness news, perhaps. There's just a local uh, article I read here this evening. Um, I'll read a few of the details. A group of campers spent the night frantically looking for one of their friends after reportedly wandered off from a campsite in West Kelowna. So a 53-year-old uh, went missing in the middle of the night, and his friend spent all night looking for him. Um, the search included, ultimately, the RCMP, the Central Okanagan Search and Rescue, RCMP Air Services, and the Police Dog Services. Uh, it says here that the man was spotted in roughly forested train by RCMP Air Services helicopter and was liaised, or who was liaised with frontline officers, Central Okanagan Search and Rescue, Police Dog Services, to safely assist the man out of the area. Thankfully, he only suffered minor injuries and he received medical attention on site. So, um, you know, just a reminder for people, something as simple as a whistle, cell phone, sat phone, ham radio, uh, pocket emergency kit sometimes is very handy. I'm sure his night wasn't uh, too enjoyable last night. It was pretty chilly here last night. And, um, you know, one of the things they did say in the article, I just wanted to reach out there as well, is um, one of his friends had commented that he seemed depressed lately and she's very worried about his state of mind. So I think we all have to be uh, aware of our friend's state of mind, our own state of mind. Uh, I know in my own personal life, I've had depression twice in my life, and it was terrible. I don't wish that on anybody. 
So uh, if that's uh, something that you're struggling with or you know somebody that is, you got to reach out for help. And so we don't know all the details of why he disappeared, but needless to say, he's back safely. Awesome. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, so what we've done lately for preps, um, I'm up first, so I actually haven't done a whole lot. Uh, I was on vacation uh, last or the week prior to last, and then I had a short week this week. Uh, but I'm soon going to be gearing up for fall and winter preparedness, as hard as that is to say that summer's coming to a close. Um, here on the east coast of Canada, we have hurricane season to look forward to. Uh, supposed to be a pretty active one as we can see that there's currently two hurricanes barreling down in the Gulf of Mexico that are supposed to <laughs> hit us simultaneously or one day from one another so that's that's kind of unheard of but that's 2020 for you uh, and also I'll be looking to um, do some maintenance and load testing on things like the generators uh, refreshing and replenishing uh, get home bags and um, I, I know this is about solar but yes I still have a generator <laughs> um, Eric or Ian what have you done for preps lately sorry not Eric uh, Ian. Uh, so okay, so for myself, I got uh, the stitches out from that dog bite there. I guess about a week and a half ago, but we didn't have the show last week. So last Thursday, I got my hand back in operation, which was good. Um, I shopped for the first aid supplies. I realized I was lacking after last week's inventory. After I went through the first aid kit and figured out what I didn't have in, in case of like bleeding and stuff like that. Uh, let's see here, I installed the new coop shells for storage, just to store more feed and uh, supplies for the chickens. I uh, worked on the free generator that I got given to me there a couple weeks ago. Got the engine running, but the generator didn't work, so it was a bit of a fail. Uh, let's see here. Put together a couple more eaves troughs and water supply pipes for some rainwater collection. Uh, did a couple range trips for maple seed, but funnily enough, one of the range trips turned into a first aid adventure because one of the guys on the firing line decided to scope himself with his high-powered rifle and started bleeding through his forehead. So <laughs> turned into a bit of a, a first aid situation there. Uh, let's see here. What else did I do after that? I uh, oh yeah, so I did my maple seed course. Uh, just finished that about five minutes here before we uh, went online, and I got my rifleman patch. So I'll show you that once my camera comes back on. And let's see here. So that was good. It was a uh, learning experience to say the least. I did a couple of range trips and prep for it, and it wasn't enough prep in the least. Uh, let's see here. Reloaded some nine millimeter. Got the last small rifle primers that were left on the island because they're running into ammo shortages. And I think uh, last thing I did was rotate out some of my gas for uh, preparation for the fall shenanigans uh, that I'm sure are about to ensue uh, between elections and COVIDs and everything else. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's been a busy couple weeks. So there it is. But I was happy I got the maple seed, this little tick in the box I wanted to take care of. So um, yeah, anyways, here it is. Uh, let's see. Should be back here. Yeah, we see you now. Oh, there it is. Hey. Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. So, yeah, happy to get that. Ian, uh, uh, Ian, Ian beat you this week, Hughes. Uh, <laughs> I, he, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so the, the first three pages, uh, if anybody actually does read the show notes, the first three pages are mostly just Ian's preps uh, for the week. <laughs> um, I was also on vacation this week, um, which is obviously why we didn't have our show last week, just because the uh, uh, everybody was out and about all at once. Um, we spent our uh, spent our week up at a, a fairly remote cottage on a fairly remote lake where there was no um, no cell service, no Wi-Fi. It was absolutely glorious. Um, we spent most of that week planning our eventual retirement up in that area. We're going to build a few cottages and have. Uh, um, have ourselves a little commune. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a good time. So that's uh, um, otherwise I've been struggling with technology and dealing with insurance based on the storm damage that we had here a few weeks back. So that's that's been my week. Not a whole lot of exciting things. Awesome, thank you, um, Chris. Was there anything you wanted to share as far as what you've done to stay prepared this week? For sure, yeah. You know, uh, recently I kind of well in the last year, anyways, uh, to give everybody full disclosure here, I've had a bit of a taken a sabbatical from uh, my work. And I've just been enjoying the great outdoors, and part of that is uh, getting out, trying to test some of my limits in the backwoods. And uh, to that uh, extent, I've been cycling through some of my storage stored storage food. And I came across some a uh, couple of boxes of MREs that I had that I bought back in 2010. They have a uh, five-year shelf life, and <laughs> it's now in 2020, and they are still edible. So uh, I don't know what they do to you long-term, but uh, in the short-term, they're fine. And then also some dehydrated food. I've been cycling through that and uh, just kind of living, you know, like I mentioned, I've been trying out the minimalist uh, lifestyle thing here just for the last year. And it's uh, eye-opening how little you need 
but at the same time, how sometimes your uh, preps can fall short. So the thing that I seem to forget to add to my preps was uh, enough coffee for long-term storage. So Awesome. There's no such thing as enough coffee. Just <laughs> All right, uh, so let's now move on to the main topic of the show. Um, so let's uh, let's get started. I guess uh, Ian, did you want to get through some of your questions, or or I can uh, I can get I, I'll I'll just jump jump into it. So just looking, um, Chris. Um, so some of your background. I know you mentioned um, electrical engineering and such, but what got what got you into solar? Well, you know, as a little youngster, I was really interested in the electronics kits, and this is back in the day when Radio Shack still sold these sorts of things, and included in my kit was a little solar panel. I found it quite amazing that uh, that could power uh, little electronic doodads. Um, I guess the the next the first thing they actually owned that was solar-powered, it was quite practical, of course, is a solar-powered calculator, and I still own that calculator about 30 years later here, and it still works. So um, I was convinced about solar power very early on, um, but uh, as we jump forward now, after high school, like you mentioned, I went to university, uh, briefly worked in the electronics engineering uh, field, and uh, then I went off into real estate for a decade. And after I was done the real estate career, I wanted to do something that was uh, of interest and of passion to me. So um, I, I found my uh, wife at the time. She mentioned, oh, there's some solar panels for sale here in an ad that she saw, and I just out of the blue, went, looked at them, picked them up, and uh, that's how I sort of got into solar, if you can imagine that. It was an ad in a newspaper back in the day, uh, picked up some used solar panels and went from there. So, And how long have you been in the, in the business now, the solar business? I, yep, so uh, I bought my own equipment 10 years ago, and so I kind of hopped in feet first and started uh, business about five years ago. So it's okay. been a wonderful uh, thing, you know, to, to work in an industry that you truly love, that you're passionate about, to wake up in the morning, you feel uh, ethically aligned to it, uh, you're not uh, wrecking the environment, you're helping people all day long on many levels, uh, whether it's preparedness, as I mentioned the intro, whether it's uh, economic, uh, you know, there's so many different ways uh, that you can help people. So I always feel great about that. And what's the um, the rough makeup or setup of a solar system? Like if we're thinking the average person that may be listening to the show, um, you know, you've got a home that's obviously probably connected to the grid at the moment. What, what, what does that system look like for the average person who'd be wanting to install this in their home? Sure, yeah. So there, there are uh, many different types. As you mentioned, there's uh, people that are connected to the grid. And uh, these are probably the most uh, recent iteration of solar technology maybe in the last 10 years it's become popular and it's what we call a grid tied or on grid uh, tied you know grid tied solar panels and the beautiful thing with these systems is they are inexpensive so um you, the, the one huge thing that's come down in price over the last many years has been the solar panels themselves uh, if we go back 30 years the solar panels were the very expensive component of the system now uh, with a Pricing have dropped so much on those. Uh, it's the inexpensive components, uh, the racking, and the uh, microinverters that we might use on a home system that I'll tell you about in a moment. Um, those add up to more than the solar panels usually. But uh, the system for a grid tie solar system for your house, if you're looking to reduce your energy bills or even eliminate your energy bill in its entirety, um, it's basically three major components. So you got the solar panels themselves. Behind those solar panels, um, we use often we use microinverters, so it's just a little box um, about the size of I don't know, maybe a well, it depends on which which manufacturer you're using. But anyway, it's just a little box that sits behind the solar panels, and that inverts. It converts from the the direct current that comes from the solar panels of so the DC, and it inverts it to the same as your house. It inverts it to 240 volts AC. Um, so there's that component, and the last component is, is it racking, so the uh, the connecting equipment to your roof. Yeah. So question for you, um, when we were talking about the microinverters that are on each one of the panels, is that more efficient than having one big inverter? Is there a reason it, why it's being done like that? Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, there's many different technologies. The one I mentioned is just one of them, microinverters. There's uh, two or three different types of technologies. Um, the other one you're alluding to there is a string inverter. So uh, traditionally, before microinverters came to the market, um, what you would do is you, if you had 10 panels on your roof, you might uh, 
depending on the inverter, you would attach several of those or all of those into a string and put that into the inverter, a central inverter, as you mentioned. Um, there are drawbacks with that. Uh, as far as efficiency goes, eh, it's debatable. But um, the problem with the string inverter is if you have any shading at all, uh, even if you have only a portion of one panel in that string that gets obstructed, say, by a shadow from a tree that passes through the course of the day, uh, that will cut out the entirety of the solar string. So um, what happened there is they realized that the problem with that, um, so they came up with this microinverter technology, and what happens with that is every single solar panel uh, operates individually. And so if you've got 10 roof, or sorry, 10 panels on your roof again, same example, and you've got uh, microinverters behind each one, as the shadow passes over individual panels, those, the power output from those will drop out, but the great news is that the rest of them will stay on. So uh, it just depends on the site. Um, microinverters are typically a little bit more expensive. There's pros and cons to both. Uh, there's lots of places where a, a string inverter would be advantageous uh, for sure. Right. I'm just thinking now, you know, as, you know, folks that are listening to this uh, podcast, you know, preparedness minus folks, you know, if you have 10 microinverters and one fails, you still have nine panels producing power essentially, right? Um, exactly. As opposed to if your string inverter fails, you have no power being generated whatsoever. Well, the power is being generated is just not being inverted to what your house needs, right? So Exactly. So we often look at that from a design point of view and how many points of failure there are. And with a single point of failure in an inverter technology, centralized inverter technology, that is one of the drawbacks, yes. So in, in this system, you didn't mention a battery. So basically, all of your savings would be before the panel, if I'm not mistaken. And then any excess power would go into back into the grid, at which point, if I'm not mistaken, you would get a credit from your utility or you would build a credit with your utility, right? And then when you're not producing solar, so let's say uh, in the evenings or you know overnight and all that kind of stuff, you'd be pulling from the grid and, and hopefully chewing up that credit to where you have a net zero utility bill, right? Is that that's the... Yeah, yeah precisely. Got it. They're pretty much exactly right. Okay. Um, what else can I add to that? Uh, you know, it all depends on your local utility. So each uh, utility in each province and each jurisdiction has different rules and regulations but uh, where we're at here in BC um, BC Hydro has a beautiful service is uh, a net metering connection agreement as well as Fortis BC and uh, just like you said uh, basically all spring summer fall your solar panels are putting in a lot more uh, power than you're using so you are basically turning your power meter backwards if you have an old analog one mm -hmm. it will literally turn backwards if you've got a new one, a smart meter will just uh, read how much outflows or how much you're pushing into the grid all day long. And then, like you mentioned, nighttime comes, you draw that power back from the grid. So it is a, a batteryless system, and uh, that is what makes it so cost-efficient these days is you don't have to buy expensive batteries uh, for that particular system. Uh, one drawback with it, of course, is that uh, it can be a beautiful sunny day if the power grid goes out. Uh, for safety, your solar system will shut down as well. So you can have a big, fancy, expensive solar system on your roof and have no power in your house. So if uh, battery backup is something that you need, uh, it certainly can be put in there as well. But you'll typically find in our areas, the grid is up most of the time, 99.9% .9 uptime. Or more. So I heard that as well. That that's that's right. So if if the utility power is shut off for some reason, um, even though you're generating solar, you won't have power. And then what? Why is that? Is there something needed? Is there utility power needed to power an inverter or power a controller? That's, yeah, precisely. So uh, okay. th these are built-in uh, safety features. As I, the technical name is called anti-islanding, and uh, it's required by law, both in Canada, United States, and most places. And what we're trying to prevent is that if the uh, electrical grid did go down, and there's linemen down the street working on your repair, and you're powering the grid, you're gonna that won't be too good. So uh, the um, these uh, grid-tied uh, solar systems, they are grid-dependent. And so you do have to provide them with an input signal so that they will uh, create their own power. And um, oh, yeah, most okay. of these technologies, if uh, they cut out within one or two milliseconds typically. So if the grid goes down, they shut off right away. I and guess I, I understand that. It's, it's the same thing as having like an interlock if you're using a generator. So if your power is out, you have an interlock, so you're not backfeeding the grid and potentially harming linemen that are working. Okay, that's, that makes sense. So then so, what would be the advantage of having a battery? Is it to remove the peaks and valleys or is it... 
it, it can be uh, multifunctional. I guess it depends on the purpose of the customer. Uh, traditionally speaking, batteries have always been used for battery backup. So, um, for example, the system that I bought uh, 10 years ago, they still sell the same system today. And um, it's a little bit special. It, uh, it has a battery, of course. And it's what they call an on-grid, an off-grid, or a hybrid inverter. So this is kind of like a, a third uh, area of solar technology. And all that means is basically my system is connected behind, er, into my electrical panel, behind the meter. And if the power grid ever drops out, uh, it has an automatic transfer switch, just like you mentioned for your generator, but it automatically switches within eight milliseconds on that one. And uh, so your lights barely even flicker and you're running on battery power and you don't even know that the, the power is out. Um, once the power uh, comes back on, it automatically transfers back to grid power and you can your batteries recharge either with the solar or with the grid. Now, um, that's traditionally what power or battery backup has been used for is backup power. But as you mentioned, uh, it can be used for many things these days. These uh, advanced uh, micro, or sorry, inverters that I'm talking about, the hybrid inverters, they have all sorts of technology. That is, if you have a time of day usage in the place that you live where you're charged uh, an exorbitant rate, maybe in the peak hours, you can uh, use your battery to clip the amount of power that you're drawing from grids during certain times. So time of use is the fancy name for it. But you can totally right. program these things to, uh, you know, just, uh, whatever you want. If you wanted to do maximum power export during the day, you can do that. You can even program them to not export any power and uh, just use all that power internally um, on your own house. So you can crank up the air conditioning and uh, whatever the heck you like with all your surplus power during the day and not export any of that to the grid because some areas don't let you export. Um, for whatever reason, different reasons sometimes. And so you can still have solar, you can still have the power battery backup and uh, all the advantages of solar. It's just that you don't necessarily have to export to the grid. And if they ever do allow it one day with a little change in the software setting, you're now exporting power. Okay. Is it possible to put in a kind of a reverse transfer switch, I guess? So uh, when we've got a backup generator, you obviously want to, you obviously have an automatic transfer that disconnects the um, disconnects from the meter and allows the generator to run. Um, could you do the same thing going backwards so that your solar would still run if it was if it was net metered? Uh, um, let's see. So net metered, uh, yeah, you, you certainly can, at least with the hybrid systems. Um, so with the microinverters, definitely not. Um, but if we're talking about integrating a generator into a hybrid system like the one I'm talking about, uh, absolutely. Um, the beautiful thing uh, with that is it's all seamless. Uh, if you have just a little box that you connect to the system called an automatic gen start, uh, Any time that those batteries are getting below a preset value for, of depletion, you've used your batteries, they're starting to get on the low side, that generator will automatically kick on and so using, again, another transfer switch that's built into the hybrid inverter. And uh, it's all automatic, so you don't have to do anything, as long as you don't have a pull start generator, that is, of course. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's, the beautiful thing is that generator will come on. It'll run at uh, whatever max power that you uh, have it set for. So, say, if you have a 5,000-watt generator, if you if you run it at close to that uh, power, you draw that much power off it, charge those batteries back up really quickly within, say, an hour or two, get them back to 80%, 90% full, and then you can shut that generator off. And uh, what happens is not only do you have the long-term backup uh, power, both in battery uh, form. You also have it in uh, your generator in the form of fuel. And uh, the solar, I mean, when the daylight finally comes around, the solar starts charging the system. So um, one of the uh, other advantages, just to mention while we're on this, is that essentially when you have a generator connected to a, to a system like that, um, you're what we call a, a generator run reduction. So some people will buy one of these fancy inverters that I'm talking about because right now all they have is they're running on inverter, or sorry, running on generator all day long. And I'll, I, they call me up, they say, what can we do to get the generator run down? And uh, by putting in a battery bank and inverter, inverter charger, uh, it, that's what happens. Essentially your inverter, sorry, your generator comes on for an hour or two, charges up those batteries and then shuts off and you uh, get through the rest of your evening on stored battery power. Okay. And is it also reasonable, is there, a, is there such a thing as a hybrid system where I'm sometimes using, or I'm using some of my solar panels to generate 
um, you know, my 240 volt and convert it to DC to convert it from DC to AC, um, as well as have um, just a DC only system and say convert my lighting to to like LED low voltage. Is that also reasonable? Is that possible? That's a very advanced uh, question. Excellent, excellent to hear. <laughs> You've been doing your homework. Um, absolutely. Uh, so maybe uh, some for certain reasons you'd want a conjunction of uh, microinverters along with uh, uh, this type of hybrid system that I'm talking about. Quite often those hybrid systems do use DC uh, for the panels, DC strings, and then they're through a charge controller, they charge the batteries. So you can have both AC and DC systems mixed together and uh, the fancy term for us in our industry is called the AC coupling or DC coupling. So it's uh, you can couple your AC microinverter portion of your solar array to the grid directly if you like, or if you mm -hmm. want, we can put it behind the battery, behind the inverter. And uh, the beautiful thing with that is that if the power cuts out, if the grid goes out, the uh, hybrid inverter is still making its signal. And so therefore, your microinverter panels can still keep running and producing for you in a grid down situation. And so that is one way to make that happen. Uh, the advantage of that is your whole solar array is uh, working for you. Uh, the only thing, of course, you have to be careful of um, is, uh, sorry, I got distracted with a loud vehicle going by. Um, the only thing you have to be careful of is you don't want to pump in too much AC behind your inverter. Uh, you have to get that programming just right, your size it just right, because if you push in too much AC behind your uh, hybrid inverter, uh, sparks will fly. So. Okay. Let's talk about the price of solar. Um, so I know, just for example, I, I got a quote um, uh, shortly after I bought my home here in 2011, I think, and the cost was so prohibitive that even the installer said, I don't think I would pursue this system at this time because the, the, the amount of time, your ROI is going to be more than the lifespan of the system. Um, so although I would have reduced my power bill and all that, they basically said, you're going to be paying this for, you know, like if you opt for payments at 0% interest, you're basically going to be paying for this for 20 years, whereas the system has a lifespan of 15 years. Um, fast forward to 2020, looking at this now where the systems are about 11,000. So you basically came down uh, from about you know 30,000 to $11,000. Is it something that the price is going to keep dropping? Is is now the right time to get into solar or, or you know is it going to be cut in half again in two, in, in two years, right? Right. Excellent question. You know, everybody, so many people wait on that. They they hear the stories of uh, 30,000 to 10,000 and they say, holy cow, if I wait 10 more years, I'll, I'll get it for practically nothing. Um, I think we've seen, uh, if, 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 unfortunately, I'd have to dig for it a little bit. It's beside me. But there's a graph that shows a decrease in solar panels and it's in the price of silicon and it's exponential. It's went down, 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 down. Um, and uh, we're right near the very bottom of that. So as far as the price of silicon, the price of solar panels, you know, it's the most inexpensive component of the system right now. Um, so I don't uh, foresee any huge price decreases. Uh, Ten years ago, absolutely, it was expensive. I, I bit the bullet and spent $30,000 on my solar system, and everybody looked at me and they said, you know, are you crazy? And uh, I said, well, how old are you, Dad? And he said, well, I'm... 70 and I said how many years have you been paying a power bill and he's thinking about that 50 years and how much do you pay a year dad and well 4,000 bucks a year right do the math on that who's crazy uh, <laughs> not having a power bill is, is proof in the pudding that my investment 10 years ago uh, paid itself off for me now part of that is uh, the guilty pleasure of being able to go to my off-grid location push a button and everything comes alive so um, you know what can I say I wanted to answer your question there a little bit more. I'm just going to go through the show notes, but uh, go ahead with your next one. Oh, the price of the solar system. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just uh, just a comment here from the notes. Um, so uh, Tracy in the notes said another issue we have with string is uh, if we get snow on one, we suffer with power. And I think that comes back to what you mentioned that if with the string system, if, if one panel's down, um, the whole string's not producing, right? So... Uh, not only with shadows, but with, with snow as well. And with a lot of us here living in North North America, snow is a reality we have to deal with, right? So, It sure is. It sure is. And I think, um, so it, it depends if the customer is living off-grid or on-grid. Uh, if we're talking about a grid-tie solar system that's uh, very, very popular these days, mostly because everybody can do it. Uh, if you're connected to the grid, which most people are, you're, you're pretty much eligible. 
Um, in those types of systems, we don't worry about it so much, snow, believe it or not. And the reason why is because we, uh, we size the system for annual consumption. So uh, when a customer calls me up and they say, we want a solar, I say, okay, great. Uh, the first thing you can do before I show up to your home would be to pull up all your power bills. And so they do that for me and they can do it over the internet. And uh, we figure out what their consumption is on an annual basis. And uh, let's just say that that's 20,000 or 30,000 kilowatt hours a year. Uh, then we can reverse and do the math and figure out the size of the solar system that we need according to where they live. And that takes into account the, how much sunlight hours, how much snow there is in the winter. Um, it basically uh, it uses all the weather data, the historical weather data and sunlight data and all sorts of things from different locations. And it very ac accurately predicts. So uh, when it comes to snow on solar panels on a grid tie system, we don't worry about it because we size the system so that uh, it in the, the spring, the summer, and the fall, when we don't have snow, uh, it puts in enough energy to offload our amount that we're using. Now, the same question and applying that to an off-grid system, absolutely. Uh, snow, anything with shadows even, anything that obstructs the sunlight from getting to your panels is, uh, is a major problem. And the reason, of course, the difference here is because you require those panels to give you energy every single day when you're living off-grid. And so it is vital. So um, even though you mentioned earlier and people mentioned that they have a generator, that's a good thing because on an off-grid system, uh, a generator is a vital component uh, of an off-grid system to recharge those batteries every once in a while. So uh, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes we worry about snow on panels. Sometimes we don't. Yeah, it just depends on the situation for sure. But it is a, a it totally stops the power output from solar. So. And it's interesting you mentioned that, that when you speak to a customer that you basically have to look at the consumption that they've had, like the historical consumption, because um, at least from what my understanding is here on the East Coast, um, I'm in Nova Scotia, um, is that they will size, the, the utility basically ma mandates that the system be sized to your consumption history, um, but the, you can also go 20% higher than that, I believe. So they'll let you, you know, like if you're, if we, we go back and say, you know, your your consumption is 10,000 kilowatt hours, they'll let you do 12,000 kilowatt or a system capable of doing 12,000 kilowatt hours and you know that's probably different by jurisdiction I guess or yep that's exactly right uh, okay. our particular jurisdiction says 100% uh, system sizing so uh, what you consume is what you can produce uh, I have had uh, success with getting exceptions from the power company in a case maybe that a customer in one of our cases I uh, was expecting to get their new electric car to be arriving soon and so okay. we uh, oversized the system and got permission for that, and they agreed that that's uh, reasonable. So I did uh, what you mentioned earlier came back to me regarding the price of solar. And, you know, one of the questions I often get, and I think it came out of your mouth as well, was the return on investment. And uh, so many people ask that. What's the return? What's How fast does it pay back? And I, yep. I often like to, uh, you know, ask people, what's the return on investment on your power bill? Right there's now. a return on investment. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there, there's you're, you're, on. Yeah. yeah, you're a lot quicker than most people. A lot yeah. of people take a lot longer <laughs> to figure that one out. But uh, there is no return on investment. So anything uh, that you get, any return on investment is, is much better than what you're doing right now. Um, and then, of course, the actual numbers depend on several factors. It depends primarily lots of times on the, uh, the price of power in your area. Uh, it's a huge one that should, you know, it changes in every location. It also sometimes requires a crystal ball. I mean, what's the power prices expected to do in your area in the future? And uh, some people have different areas, jurisdictions have seen skyrocketing electrical prices that freak me out. And um, so, you know, you have to know that. Uh, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is, well, which solar installer or solar company did you go with? Because some will charge, you know, we'll say $10,000 for a system and someone might charge $15,000 for the exact same system. And if you if you like the guy that was showed up and maybe you like the fellow that uh, pitched you the $15,000 system, you just maybe liked him better for whatever reason, and you overpaid, uh, then, you know, your payback is going to take significantly longer as well. So there's several different factors that come into it. Um, but one way or the other, uh, typically my customers out here, uh, it depends on which system they're with because there's two systems where we live here in Kelowna. There's uh, BC Hydro and Fortis BC. And uh, they have different rates. So the return on investment from one side of the lake to the other can vary by about two or three years just because of that differentiation. 
Okay. So we could figure out, um, you know, the return on investment just by looking at, you know, how much you're saving versus how much you're paying for the whole system. But what is the typical lifespan of, I guess, a panel would be would be my concern, but also the system in general. So understanding that there's micro microcontrollers on each one of the panels, they can fail, they need to be replaced. Um, but the panels themselves, is it something that you're looking at 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Yeah. So it, if we uh, think back for a moment, um, you know, solar panels are space age technology and that's kind of a cliche saying these days. But if you think about some of the original pa uh, original solar satellites that went up there, satellites, they're all run on solar. And even to this day, the majority of things, including the International Space Station, they're all run on solar. And what they're finding is that most of these panels that were sent up 50, 60 years ago are still operating. Um, so what there is when it comes to solar panels, uh, I mean, uh, the, the easiest answer is the following. Uh, most solar panels have a 25-year warranty, both on uh, workmanship, but more importantly on power output. Uh, we can talk about that more in a moment. Also, depends on the company. A lot of uh, central uh, inverters, centralized string inverters that we talked about earlier, some of those have 10-year warranties extendable to 20 or 25 and same with the microinverters. Most of them are available with 25-year warranties. So from a customer point wow. of view, uh, absolutely, you know, what can you buy these days that have warranties? And um, so that, you know, that's, that's amazing. And then the, the other thing is, is with solar panels, uh, there's a, there's, when we talked about uh, power output warranty, there's a known degradation rate of silicon when it sits out in the sun. And it's uh, between a quarter of a percent and a half a percent per year. So if we just go with the higher number of those two, the half a percent, um, when you do the math on that, basically after 10 years of uh, sitting out in the sun working for you, putting power back into the grid, uh, your, your power output might go down by a certain number of percent, 5% in this example. After 20 years, the power output from those panels would be down 10%. And so the power output warranties for most manufacturers on the low side will be they'll guarantee an 80% output after 25 years. And uh, some of the higher brand uh, panels will actually go with almost uh, half of that degradation rate. So the 90% power output after 20 or 25 years. So the thing is, is they don't just stop working. I mean, it's a solid state technology. There's no moving parts inside of them. You don't even have to clean them most times unless you lived in a dusty location because when it rains, it uh, does the work for you. And uh, it's certainly not worth, uh, for grid tie solar systems, you don't want to be climbing under your roof and, and brushing the snow off them. It's just not worth it. There's barely any sun in the wintertime anyways. Uh, okay. Off-grid systems, of course, sometimes you have to do that. So. That's that's really good. Thank you for for that answer because I, I that was my con concern is that um, you know how long is the panel gonna gonna last and and at at first when I first got my estimate for thirty thousand dollars dollars am I paying for something for twenty years with a panel that's gonna last ten years, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, and, the, and that's exactly <laughs> well, right. So. Oh, sorry, guys. I just got a bit of a left back here, but um, so yeah, the, uh, the the lifespan is a lot longer than I expected. But now, is there any but any unexpected downsides for the solar systems at all that surprised you, Chris? I haven't found one yet. <laughs> um, no, not really. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to find one. I think the worst things that I could ever find bad news about solar systems was uh, an article that I read years and years ago. I kind of cringed to even mention it, but if, if you want my honest answer, was uh, somebody had mentioned in an article that some manufacturers use a bad chemical in the production process. So whether they still use that chemical or not, I'm not too sure, but uh, that's what the worst things I think I've ever heard of solar panels is, uh, you know, just uh, maybe that, but that's a trivial little thing. Probably the worst things with solar panels would be not having any. And I, I think too on the on the panels, what I was thinking is that you know, in, if I bought the system now in ten years, if the panels get twice as efficient as they are from when I bought my system, does that mean I have to replace them? And the answer is probably no, because to your point, if we're looking at a ten percent degradation, let's say over the course of twenty years, my consumption needs probably haven't changed all that much. Um, so the only way I would have to replace the panels is if I wanted to get more efficient, smaller panels or more efficient and less panels, meaning I didn't want as many on my roof. 
but there's probably not a huge cost advantage to that other than aesthetics, I guess, right? So, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, the other reason that a person might decide to do that after 10 years only, even though their panels are perfectly functional and fine, would be maybe their power requirements went up. Maybe they got a car that they didn't have or a pool or some other uh, energy intensive something in their house. And uh, the other thing is maybe they didn't have enough roof space originally. So as the uh, power density on the panel goes up, uh, that same square footage, if they can get double or the amount of power density out of their roof, it might make sense at some point. And uh, the beautiful thing with these panels, because they just go and go and go for 25, 35, 45, 50 years, uh, you know, barring a huge catastrophe of some sort, uh, tree coming down on your house, um, you know, they just keep working and working. So it's a great thing. And you could probably add on to the system as well. You don't necessarily need to replace existing panels in order to make the system, you know, increase the capacity of the system. You could just keep adding panels um, if you needed to increase the capacity, right? So Exactly. So one of the beautiful things with the microinverters, as we were talking about earlier, uh, is that your system is completely scalable. So sometimes people, they say, hey, what's it cost for a solar system? And I, I always like to give them a answer that's honest and uh, attractive and and that's it can be anything that you like how much right. do you have to invest it can be three thousand dollars if you like and so, uh, they're, because we can just add more panels with that it's a scalable whereas with string inverter technology you can't easily add and subtract uh, panels necessarily so so Tracy here in the uh, the comments here on Facebook has a question and says uh, so because we brush off our panels daily in the winter are we at risk to lose power output quicker or faster because we are touching the panels Nope, I think absolutely. When you're living off-grid, you've got to get those panels clean. Um, quite often, uh, maybe I can show some images that I have here later, or maybe I'll show them right now. Um, so this is an example of uh, something that we have. We'll see if we can get it in focus. Yep. So these are um, shipping containers, and we call these uh, containerized energy units. And uh, what you're seeing there is sort of the uh, almost the wintertime uh, position on the solar panels. And my point being that wintertime, uh, if you can get those panels almost vertical, uh, that would be excellent. So sometimes the angle on your mounting system is vital. And then this one here, you can see that we got the other one tilted back. It's more of a summer position. You can sit under there for, for shade. So uh, just to answer your question, no, it is vital in the wintertime. Um, if you have, if you're living off grid, it is, it is so powerful to have your panel set up on some sort of mount that can be rotated and to almost a vertical. Of course, it depends where you live in Canada, but uh, to get the snow so that it doesn't stick on there, it melts off very quickly once the sun comes out. Got it. Um, any safety hazards that you need to, uh, I guess, be, be, be concerned about when it comes to, to solar? Yeah, well, uh, of course, uh, depends which technology you're using. Uh, microinverters, um, they're relatively safe. Uh, string inverters, can things can get exciting very quickly. Uh, the reason why is the DC voltage, uh, say a panel puts out 30 volts, and you connect another one to it, and you connect 10 in a row. At the output of those two uh, connections, the positive and negative, you're going to have 300 volts DC. And uh, this is like life-threatening. And <laughs> part of the reason why is a DC spark, if you ever get an arc going between two wires, uh, it does not self-extinguish like AC does because every uh, 1 60th of a second, an AC voltage, will its voltage will go to zero as it vibrates back and forth between uh, positive and negative. And needless to say, uh, that doesn't happen with... Uh, string inverters. So you kind of really got to be careful uh, for someone that's a do-it-yourselfer. Uh, there's many things that you can do with solar, whether we're talking uh, off-grid or grid tie systems. Um, that's one of the things that we sort of specialized in was helping uh, our customers that are do-it-yourselfers, equipping them with the knowledge, the uh, only information they need from videos to checklists so that they can do it install themselves. So um, you mentioned safety. It can be done safely, absolutely. So uh, that's one of the things I encourage to my customers if they're handy and they want to have the sense of satisfaction, literally empower themselves. Uh, I've had several customers that they climb under their own roof, they bolt down the, all the equipment, they connect it up. And even though they're not electricians, they don't have to be here um, because they aren't doing any electrical connections on the roof. And again, this comes back to safety. So with the microinverters, so you have a particular solar panel, you plug those ends directly into the microinverter, 
and it does not start creating uh, 240 volts right away, and that's simply because it does need the grid to be present. So uh, a person can literally uh, get onto the roof of their home, install their whole solar system in our jurisdiction anyways, in some different provinces they have different rules, but uh, they do a lot of the work themselves and then have the qualified electrician come out, uh, they get the permit, they do the final connections on it, interconnect it directly to your power system in your home, and uh, you go on your way. Now, the beautiful thing with doing that um, is that that goes right back to your return on investment. So if you can save maybe $2,500 to $3,000, depends on the size of the system, but if you can save thousands of dollars on your install, your return on investment just, you knocked off two, three, four years. Yeah, that's on huge. Size, of course. Yeah. Two um, questions, if I can. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Um, one, um, how portable are these panels? So I'm thinking about my house. I'm having my roof replaced. I'm putting 50-year shingles on. If I'm 10 years into my roof and I'm going to need to replace my shingles in another 10 or 15 years, what's the process involved in actually like removing those to do the roof and then replacing them? Is it complicated? Yeah. Is it expensive? Is it what? No problem. So just if I want to make sure I understand your uh, question correctly you mentioned a 50-year shingle but uh, you'd also mentioned uh, 10 years into a what sound like a 20-year shingle is that right yeah so i'm just thinking i'm yeah. thinking about my roof so you're, you're on my roof, there, i'm putting on 50 50 year shingles if i'm yeah. if, and i would put this on a brand new be putting this on a brand new roof if i did it on my house if yeah. i'm the average homeowner i've got 10 I've, I've i put my roof on 10 years ago put the shingles on 10 years ago i've got maybe 10 or 15 years out there before I have to replace the roof again or replace the shingles again, what's my, like, is, is it a big deal to take those off and put them back on after? Sure, sure. Sorry, I just wanted to understand, uh, got me yep. a little confused with the 50 years slash 20 year. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of schools of thought on that. Uh, lots of times it's beautiful to start with a fresh new surface, uh, strip up all the, everything and put down your equipment. Um, but there, for the person in that situation, my answer would be the following. Um, one of the ways to go about it, what you have to understand is once you put solar panels on your roof, those shingles, they are not exposed to most of the elements anymore. They don't see the rain, they don't see the sun, which is a real hard one on them. They don't see the hail. Um, and so when you think you might have 10 years left in those shingles, if you left them exposed, you might find you got 15 or 20 years left in those shingles that are underneath the solar panels. Right. So uh, we have done jobs where a person is in that situation where they're 10 years into a 20-year product, and uh, we've just uh, basically outfitted the whole entire roof with solar, so there was, wasn't a lot of setbacks along the edges. And uh, that allowed them to just go over it, and they probably won't have any problems whatsoever. Now, if a person uh, did install solar and time comes to uh, change the roof for whatever reason, um, it's not hard at all, actually. There's, uh, everything is, um, you know, it's just the time and labor, mostly. Uh, when it comes to materials, uh, the Spencer word would call the flashing, the flashing that we use to keep the water tank connection on your roof. Uh, that would be the only part that would have to be replaced with new ones because those are sealed in place. But besides that, you know, the solar panels, the mounts, the racking, the inverters, everything just stripped off the roof. Uh, roofers do their job. You put the equipment back on just like you had it. And uh, with the exception of ordering in some new flashings and sealant and, and away you go. So from a do-it-yourselfer point of view, it's not a problem. Uh, if you're paying somebody to do it, though, just be aware that you know they'll charge the hourly rate of whatever that is, and it can uh, add up. So, depending on the size of your system, of course. Okay. And my second question, I've I, I read briefly about um, the Tesla shingles. So they're just they're they're shingles themselves that are solar panels. I'm guessing they're they're still fairly new technology because they're not in wide use. What's the what's the story with those? Yeah, well, it depends if you're talking about the announcement uh, three or four years ago, or maybe the more a little bit newer one. Do you know which release it was? Um, I think it was. I think it was about. I don't know. It was within the last year. I think was the article I was reading, but I I don't have okay. it up to refresh okay. it. Well, I'll tell you what I do know. Um, of course, uh, most everything with uh, Tesla and Elon Musk is exciting and uh, promoted, and maybe sometimes over promoted. Um, you know, in our industry, we deal with things that we can get our hands on from the uh, manufacturers, from the distributors, and, and what's uh, mass produced right now. So while I have, I'm excited about uh, integrated solar panels like the ones that I saw in his news release years and years ago that still have not come to market, I might mention. So we kind of have to sometimes differentiate the hype between reality and, um, you know, if you're interested in uh, those particular panels that he showed off four years ago, 
you might never see them. Um, but uh, when they do come out, it, you know, gosh only knows how long that will be. Um, it all comes down to aesthetics. And so I think what you'll find these days is a lot of the panel manufacturers are finally making all black panels. So modules that are all black, they go on your roof, the uh, frames are black, the silicon is black, and the backer sheet is black. And uh, those look very fancy. In some cases, I might even say sexy on some homes if they're put in there correct. And um, so, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, I could list off a whole bunch of cons in the Tesla ones. But, um, you know, it comes down to me what's available today, what's cost efficient, and um, the few places that they have put in those panels uh, kind of on a prototype basis. You know, I don't think it was very cost effective at all. And then uh, the other problem with that is, um, from what I understand, the way that they're all integrated, there's no just changing out one panel if there's ever an issue. And uh, I mean, I, I could go on and on, but okay. so they're just not really a thing, and I, wouldn't be something. They're not on. available. Yeah, they're not available right now. And uh, when they are, I understand that they're going to go through the, the Tesla vertical integration product line. So maybe you know, just like the Tesla doesn't have a show, or sorry, they don't have distributors of their cars they have their, they sell their own cars through their own distributor network you're going to find that uh, just the same way they've done with the test Powerwall is they set up their own network and, and buy through them so if you want to buy the brand absolutely wait around uh, but for everybody that's not maybe uh, caught up in the hype um, you know you can pick up something today and it'll be by the time that the Tesla panels come out uh, your source system will probably be paid off right it's interesting, Chris, that you mentioned um, the aesthetics of it, because I remember when I was looking at the system like 10 years ago, um, because my house is not south-facing, so I'm basically uh, east-west, um, they would have had to install some additional racking on the roof in order to get the panels to be south-facing. Um, and aesthetics is something we thought about, and we, we thought, you know, we just bought this nice, beautiful home, and we don't really want to break up the lines and hide the roof and all that kind of stuff with solar. And I think it's a lot more accepted today not that it wasn't 10 years ago but it's it's not something you saw it wasn't commonplace 10 years ago and i can tell you right now that it definitely isn't commonplace here now i mean you know i could drive and, and drive by 100 homes before i see one that has a solar uh setup on it right but i think I'm, I'm i would be much more accepting of it now in my home than i i would be 10 years ago when i just bought a brand new home so yeah it's so funny talk about that, that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that as well because there's so many things that we can talk about and how things have changed in the industry so let's uh, you know go back 10 years, 20 years. Silicon, the solar panels themselves were very expensive. And as most people probably know, uh, you get the most output from a solar power when you face it south. So as you mentioned, uh, I've seen some pretty crazy east-west uh, roof homes that have some pretty crazy setups trying to get those silicon panels to face south. And some of them are downright dangerous. You know, if you get a windstorm come through, it's... I wouldn't want to be the insurance company for that house. And um, so that's another thing that's changed in the industry is, um, and I'll show you some pictures here right now. I had a customer, one of my do-it-yourself customers, uh, they have an east-west facing roof, and this is a job they did all by themselves. Okay. okay. Yep. And uh, so that is east and west facing. And uh, what you'll find is if you get into some of these um, calculators on the internet, that in our area, and probably most areas, you only lose about between 15 and 18 to 20% on each side versus a south facing roof. So for this customer, of course, they didn't want a crazy setup on the roof. These were the ones that were getting the electric car in the future. Uh, they just decided to deck out their roof and uh, in an east-west configuration. And uh, even with that, they have uh, zero power bill. So these days. Wow. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I know, I, and, and part of the setup that they were proposing for me, and this is, again, in, in individual to my experience, but they were even proposing putting racks on the side of the house in order to get those panels to be south-facing. Um, yep. So I was going to have, you know, stuff hanging off the side of my house, and we get pretty crazy windstorms and hurricanes, and I figured, you know, that's just going to rip off the side of the house and take the siding with it. And <laughs> so. Yeah, and you know, things like that, as crazy as that might sound today, uh, that was common practice 10, 15 years ago to do things like that because it was so important to face them south because that uh, panel is so darn expensive. But yeah, but like but I said, now, point, you know, like you said, 15 to 18 percent, really, you just you just build it into the, the, the sizing of the system, I guess. You know, if you, if you know that you're going to lose up to 18 percent, you know, you add an additional two, two, two panels and you gain that 18 percent back. It's not that big of a deal anymore. Precisely, yeah. So part yeah. of the uh, analysis that we do off the beginning with any customer is exactly that. So looking at the roof orientation, the roof of the angle, or the angle of the roof, all sorts of different factors that come into play 
Um, that particular one, I'll see if I've got a photo that shows it, but they had the two trees in their backyard. And um, yeah, I don't have a good photo that shows it. But uh, I used, uh, sometimes when you come upon a site that has any sort of shading, we use a tool called a shade analysis tool. And it's just a device, there's electronic ones as well as uh, analog ones. I've got the old fashioned analog one that works no batteries. And uh, we set that up on the roof and we determined that there's a fair amount of afternoon shading from those trees. And I mentioned that to them, you know, this is part of if you leave those trees in place, uh, we're just going to have to add a few more solar panels. And one of the trees was actually diseased, I believe. And so they said, we'll take out one of them. And then we said, oh, great. And then uh, so right now to this day, um, it's, it's pretty neat because you can, uh, especially with microinverters, you can watch the, every five minutes, I can, uh, the, the system updates its information to the web, up to the cloud. And it says, here's the power output. And it tells me the power output from every single panel. And so I can look at that, to their house at any given time. And I can see exactly in the afternoons and the evenings where they shade from the one remaining tree will actually block out certain panels on the west side of their home and uh, the rest of them keep on putting full output. So it really is a neat little thing that happens. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Alan, any other questions for Chris? That has answered all the questions I've had currently and so many more. Um, a lot of things to think about. Uh, we've actually been, we were talking about solar both for our, um, um, our current property and future properties. And so I'm, I, was, I was excited to kind of get on and get this, uh, um, get into this a little bit more. And I, there's, there's certainly a lot to consider. So um, I guess the, the only la the last question I have is about structure. Like, do I need, if I'm planning a new building, is there anything I should be doing to my roof, like to the, to the construction of my roof to make it more suitable to support um, solar panels? Yeah, so excellent question. Um, you know, uh, most new homes, the new trust manufacturers have realized that a lot of homes are uh, be putting solar on the roof. So most uh, trusses these days have uh, adapted the plates on them, uh, a little bit longer teeth on them. So the, most trusses these days are pre-qualified essentially for solar. It's certainly something you want to double check with your uh, engineer, your architect. Um, the one thing I would say, though, uh, most important, um, isn't so much about structure, but it's the layout of your roof. So most homes these days have multifaceted, you know, 10, 12 different surfaces on the roof, whereas the house that I showed you, the old-fashioned house from uh, the 1960s, has only two surfaces, an east and a west in that particular uh, scenario. So if you have a choice to design your roof with the minimum number of uh, surfaces, uh, make it one continuous surface, that makes it good for solar. And also, if you pay attention sometimes to your venting and different things that come out of your roof, if you can uh, pick where some of those go, uh, it makes uh, for a, nice look, a nicer looking solar install. So. It's funny you mentioned that, Chris, because I think that's one of the reasons why they were going to hang panels off the side of my roof is because I have nine different surfaces on my roof, um, yes. and none of them are very big in size. I mean, you know, you could probably fit three or four panels on each one of them, but it was just going to be a, a, a mess, right? So, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, it sounds like you made the right choice uh, for many reasons years ago not to, to buy at that time. Um, of course, they were just starting to come out with microinverters uh, 10 years ago. I believe Enphase was the, one of the first companies that came out with those. And um, for the surface that you describe of your house, you definitely need microinverters because every time you have a panel surface facing a different direction, it's outputting different than the rest. And when it comes to string inverters, you really want all those panels receiving the same amount of light for optimum output. Uh, these days, this is where microinverter the cake. And I, I think that's why the contractor was trying to talk me out of the system. <laughs> he yeah. gave me a quote and he said, I'd be happy to do it. I'll be happy to take your money. But he's like, this is probably not the right time. And I'm kind of happy yeah. I did. But now I'm, I've, you've, re, you've rekindled my interest in it. And I'm really thinking about it. Um, so thank you for that. Um, we're almost at time. So I'm just going to go ahead with the podcast challenge. So um, listen, try building a small scale system to power your small devices via a car battery, for, for example. And I know when Chris mentioned at the beginning of the show, that he got interested in solar by, you know, the little solar panel that comes in a kit. I remember doing that as a kid as well. I got like this little engineering kit with the little four, 
four notch solar panel and we were powering a little DC motor um, yep. with a fan on it and you could stop it with your finger. So it wasn't very powerful, but uh, to me, that was just amazing that some, something was working, you know, without a battery, without being connected to the grid. Um, so that's, that's awesome. So, um, and also you can contact Chris for a free 30 minute one-on-one uh, solar contemplation, uh, big or small, he can help you with it. And uh, I believe uh, Chris, if not mistaken, you can be reached at uh, 250-575-9221. You correct? got her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got her. If I could just add a couple little things here. You mentioned trying to build a small scale solar power system um, from a car battery. Well, I've been out camping for the last few weeks. And uh, one of the things that I did was try to get away from society and get off the grid. But I still want to have a few uh, electronic devices to be charged. And uh, this here is as small sometimes as they can get. So this is like a 10 watt solar panel and it's very tiny and it's robust. Uh, no aluminum frame on this one. And this only outputs about 10 watts. So it's kind of designed to be a trickle charger for your car. If you're leaving it alone or your RV, you really want to keep those batteries trickle charged. Um, that's a perfect use for something like that. And I've been very impressed. I connected that up to a motorcycle battery charged all my devices for several weeks in the middle of nowhere so it can be as simple as uh, something that small and if you got one more minute i gotta tell you the story yeah. which sold me on solar those solar panels that my wife mentioned wife at the time i should clarify uh mentioned that i bought out of the newspaper um i took them out to a remote piece of land and my son and i were there and i had left the radio on in the truck and sure enough he went to leave at the end of the day and click 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 when he tried the starter. The, the truck would not start. I was in this remote location, nobody around, kind of like scratching my head and the daylight was running out, right? But uh, at the time, I didn't even realize that you needed a charge controller, if you can imagine that in my naivety. Um, but so I took those, uh, those particular panels and I wired them directly to my car battery. And I'm not suggesting this by any stretch. But in that particular situation, <laughs> I gave it about 15 or 20 minutes. It was uh, cumulus clouds, many clouds going overhead that day. But when the sun did peek through the clouds, it was charging. And uh, I'll tell you, and then 20 or 30 minutes later, when that truck started up, it sold me on those panels that I had just bought. So it uh, saved you. It really <laughs> saved me that particular day from walking out and getting a boost from somebody. So yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how that works sometimes. Awesome. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, just quickly, just some uh, upcoming events. Uh, so we've got TACCOM Canada 2020, which has been delayed until April 23rd to 25th, 2021. Uh, you can see details for the show uh, or, or the ticket uh, in the show notes. Um, as well, uh, attend the Maple Seed event. Uh, so mapleseedrifleman.com. Uh, shout outs. Um, I, Chris, thank, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, uh, you know, solar has been one of those things that we've wanted to talk about. Solar is one of those things that's integral to preparedness and, and what we do as, as people that want to um, not have to rely on the grid and not have to um, always be relying on things like generators because they run out of fuel, which, you know, <laughs> is a downside and solar does not run out. So thank you for, for being on the show and thank you for your time as well. No problem. Yeah. So for a shout out, I'm not sure if this is the right place to do it or not, but sometimes in these uh, trying times, I, I, I love the humor. And uh, I saw a video that made me laugh the other day. Apparently it made uh, 4.2 million other people laugh as well. So I'll mention it. Um, but uh, it's a video that's called what it's like to believe everything the media tells you. And uh, so I'll repeat that again in case you need to write it down, but what it's like to believe everything that the media tells you. So if you check that out on YouTube, it's just funny and a little bit of satire you know, it might get your mind thinking about different things that are going on in the world right now. And, uh, anyways, that's my shout out to the people that uh, put out things like that. So. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Alan, any shout outs for yourself? Alan, I think you're on mute. I've got one more here. So Rick and Andrew from Maple Seed for their patience and service to the shooting community. This is coming from Ian. Uh, the pair are also listeners to both, uh, the Canadian prepper podcast and the Canadian, uh, I forget the other one. I'm sorry. Um, so we'll go out to outros. Um, so I'm going to bring episode 81 of the Canadian Proper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us and submit a review. It helps other people find us. Uh, we can also be reached. I can also be reached, sorry, at hfxprepper at gmail.com or hughes at prepperpodcast.ca. I also have my own YouTube channel. Just search for hfxprepper. Uh, over to Alan. 
Alan's not there. Uh, we record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click on the notifications tab. Uh, that gives you an alert that we're about to go live, and you can contact us directly as well on Instagram at TPSWO. Uh, and Chris, I'll turn it over to you there. Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, I'd love to hear from anybody. If they'd love to give me a call, my number is 250-575-9221. I really enjoy speaking directly with people to find the best solution to fit their needs. Uh, if you prefer email, you can reach me at email at gotsolarcolona at gmail.com. That's G-O-T, gotsolarcolona at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Uh, And thank you for joining us, everyone. Until the next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.